Good morning. I'll give you a heads up of what we're gonna, where we're going to be at and what we're going to be doing here the next weeks. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so there's, a, I know that, I'll give you a, a little window into my heart and soul. Uh, whenever, whatever I'm going to be teaching and preaching on throughout the week, that tends to color everything in the week leading up to it. And I think there's, whenever we talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made, I think my family got a lot of blank stares out the windows at times, you know, as I'm just reflecting and, and thinking of, of, uh, of this great sacrifice that Jesus made. And so we'll go into that here in a minute. Then next week, we have a, an opportunity because uh, Sunday falls on Christmas this year. And so there's, you know, in our world, we look around, we don't have to look too far to see that there's a lot of misunderstanding about about who Jesus is that happens this time of the year. But the great thing for us is that people are more willing to talk about and think about and consider spiritual things at this time of the year. And so this gives us a great opportunity to invite people for this next Sunday to come and hear the message of God. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do. We've got some cards that are there in the back that just give the worship times and stuff, and you're welcome to to take those and, and give them to people. And so Mark doesn't deal with the birth of Jesus, and so we're going to go way back to that, even though maybe there's a, a 1 in 365 chance that Jesus was born on that actual day. You know, that probably wasn't the case at all. But it's an opportunity that we have to engage the world that we live in. So we're going to, I'll, I'll talk about some of the excitement that happened when Jesus was born this next week. And then the week after that, we're going to go through uh, the, um, uh, the, the resurrection, which is one of the, the coolest things for us to talk about because it's nothing like anything else that any other um, group, religious group or otherwise has to, has to be able to talk about. And so we're going to, uh, January 1st, man, what a good day to talk about resurrection, you know, beginning of the new year when we go into um, all those New Year's resolutions of, of how we're going to be and how we're going to look at life in the new year. So we can start with the resurrection. And looking way ahead, the Sunday after that, uh, Sylvia and I have a 15th anniversary coming up, and so we're going to disappear for a little bit, and we won't be here that Sunday, but we'll, uh, that's, a, that's a ways out. And so I'll, we'll um, I'll be prepared for... You guys have a day off. No, I'm kidding. That's not it at all. There's, there's other to be preaching and, and, uh, and walking you through God's Word. <laughs> Very like that, yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and go to Mark chapter 14. That's where we'll be at. Mark chapter 14. All right, there is, uh, I want us to, to consider and put ourselves in a situation here. Okay, just imagine that you are, are someone who is a, a shopkeeper, maybe in the, the later part of the first century, and you've gone about your business, and, and you have, uh, business is okay, you're supporting your family, you're going on with life, but it just seems like there's a great hole that's missing. There is something that you would really want to, that life is about something more than what you've discovered, but it just seems like the monotony of day after day, you just keep doing that. And these gods that you've been worshiping, that you've been brought up to worship, are gods that you um, you don't have any type of relationship with. In fact, you try not to, because you're afraid that if, they, if you stick your head up too high and they recognize that you're there, that they might get jealous and curse you or something like that. And so what you do is you go through life trying to keep your head down and offering sacrifices to these gods when you have to and when you think that you need to be blessed. And hopefully those sacrifices in your mind kind of trick those gods into blessing you because if you give something to them, then they see that and maybe they'll bless you and, or at least they won't curse you and they'll leave you alone. And even though you, you, you never say it in public, at least you, you wouldn't for, for fear of, 
of being ostracized. But you think, man, you know, these, these gods are just, they're not real great gods to worship. And I wish we had different gods. Wasn't there gods that were, that, that were better than this? And you would consider that. But this big hole continues to be in your life. This big hole that is there that just thinks, man, I just wish that somehow, somewhere, there was something different. And down the street, there's a family that you've seen their life change. You've seen their life become different than it was before. And they were people that were cranky before and, and had all these, these issues and problems, and kind of the laughing stock of the neighborhood. But something changed with them, and they put themselves together, and they have this joy or something like that, or happiness, or you can't really define it. You don't know what it is, but something that is different that is coming out of them. And something that is causing you to think, huh, you know, wait a minute, those people were the people that we always teased and we always made fun of, but now they seem to, they don't care about that anymore. They seem to have found something different that um, I, I'm not sure what to do with. You know, that, that's, I, I even find myself, and I would never admit it out loud, but I find myself being jealous of what they have. And I wish I had something like that. I wish I had this peace and this, this joy that they have and this you know, it seems like they're, this God that I've heard about, that they're following, actually cares about them. And that really throws me for a loop, and I'm not sure exactly what to do about that. And you're going through all this in your mind, and this family ends up coming down to your door and says, Hey, some of us are going to meet tonight, and there's a letter that has come, written by one of the apostles of Jesus, or one of the disciples of Jesus, one of his followers, uh, named Mark, and it just tells the story of Jesus. Would you like to come and hear? You think, they catch you in a weak moment. You know, they catch you in a weak moment. You think, okay, whatever, sure, I'll go. Because 99 times out of 100, you would have turned them down. But for some reason this time, there's something in you that says, no, I'll go and listen. What does it hurt? What does it hurt to listen? And as you've been sitting there, you've been listening to all these stories about Jesus and how he has, uh, uh, he is, is a powerful teacher. And there's something about his words that connect with you. And something about his miracles that he does that, that connect with you as well, because they don't seem to be faked like so many of these miracles that the priests of the gods that you serve have, that, you, that you've seen. And it's so different. And it causes you to just, as you continue to hear the story, to go deeper and deeper in and think, what, I wonder what this God is really about. And you read it about, or you're hearing about in uh, Gethsemane, uh, where Jesus is, is up there, he's telling his disciples to be ready. And they keep falling asleep, and you think, wait a minute, this seems like this is going to be a big deal. Something big is about ready to happen. And this is what happens next. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd. And I'm in Mark chapter 14, verse 43. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with the swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And so as you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh man, now these are the people that said they would leave everything in order to follow Jesus, and now when things get, get difficult, they run. 
man, what's, what's going to happen here? Verse 53, they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with human hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also are with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man or what you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how, how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. And Pilate was the Roman governor. He wasn't Jewish, but he's a Roman governor that his job is to keep the peace in this area, which was a tough, tough job there in Jerusalem. Verse 6, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people had requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what, they, what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate re released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And again and again they struck him in the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. 
A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from, from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from that cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near this, near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs, and many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. I can't imagine what's going through a person's head that has not heard the message of Jesus before at this point in time. But thinking, wait a minute, this isn't how things are supposed to go. This guy is a teacher. He does miracles. He does all this kind of stuff. And this, this is how the story ends? This is what happens here? Well, we know this isn't where the story ends at all, and we're going to get to that. But we're going to spend some time today uh, just thinking about and, and, uh, and talking about what this sacrifice of Jesus means and, and what it's all about. We hear the, there's a couple of different phrases I want to use when we talk about what the cross is. First of all, we can say that the cross is a sacrifice that provides forgiveness and healing. Okay, there is a whole lot of symbolism that happens with the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, uh, it is right during the, the time of the Passover. It is uh, it's a time where, where thousands and thousands of Jews would come back to Jerusalem to be there and to celebrate this time together. And so this is a picture of the Temple of Solomon. It was a better temple than, or better picture than the picture I found of Herod's temple, but it's the same basic layout. And so that's, this is uh, the, the inside of the the temple area there. And what would happen is 
the priests would come and they would offer these sacrifices. And according to the old law, what people understood what was supposed to happen is that when they, especially when they brought sin offerings, these offerings would be brought, they would be given, they'd place their hands on the, on the, the head of this, this animal or on the, on the animal, and the animal would be sacrificed. And the idea was is that that sacrifice, God would take that animal as a sacrifice instead of them, themselves. And the idea very clearly was to help people understand the gravity of sin and the gravity of being separated from God. And so people religiously, literally, year after year, would come back and offer these sacrifices and be there because this was important. It was an important part of their understanding of how to be right with God and how to, how to pursue God. And so here, when you look at this temple, there's, a, there's, some, there's several things that, that we can note here. You see, there's the big altar. That's where a lot of the burnt offerings and, and that took place. It's right out in front of the, the maiden temple area. And then you go up the steps, and there's a porch there, and you go into this, what is called the holy place. And there were storerooms all the way around it. But this holy place was the place where the, uh, the priests would come in and out to offer incense. And there were incense altars up here on the sides and the candles that were there. Um, said to have been a very beautiful place. But those priests would come in and out there um, in order to, to make these, these incense sacrifices. But there was another place there, right here, So we've talked about, we've talked about this a few times, the Holy of Holies. And as the Jews understood, is that was the place where the people would, or, or the Ark of the Covenant was originally. It doesn't seem like it was there during Jesus' time. But this is a place where the high priest would go in, once a year on the Day of Atonement. And it was the only fasting day that the Israelites were commanded. They were commanded to fast that day. But he'd come in and make a sacrifice in the presence of God to take care of the sins of the people for the year. And something you notice, and it's just, Mark just notes it very briefly. You see uh, some of the other gospel writers like Matthew and Luke spend more time with it. But you see something happens when Jesus dies. There's a curtain that is torn from top to bottom. This curtain was a beautiful, beautiful, well-made curtain that sat, that hung right there. And that was the, the dividing line between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And so there's a whole lot of symbolism here, is that when Jesus, when Jesus died, this curtain that was the dividing line between people, between God and the, and the rest of the people, if we can say it that way, this dividing line was torn from top to bottom. I think there's a lot of symbolism in that, in that this division between mankind and God, or this, 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 this great chasm that was there, was being torn apart and was being done away with. And as this, this curtain was being torn, the entry into the Holy of Holies, or the entry into God's presence, was being opened in a way that we could never imagine and could never access before. And that's part of this great sacrifice. And the scripture that Kyle read here a minute ago talks about that. As Jesus offered this sacrifice once for all, so we don't have to go back over and over and over again, sacrificing the blood of bulls and goats and everything else. God himself became mankind just like you and me and sacrificed himself once and for all. That's the gist of it. Let's look at Isaiah 53. There's a, a lot of sacrifice language here. Isaiah 53, go ahead and turn to that. About 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, this was written. Isaiah 53, 
And I'll read verses 4 through 9. Surely, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 9. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his generation protested? Who, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And that is, is one of many scriptures that talks about the sacrifice that Jesus gave. What it does is it provides forgiveness and healing for us. And those of us that have made that commitment to follow Christ know, know what this is about. And the people that, the, the character that I was, I was mentioning, if you were there in the first century, just imagine the people that were down the street, uh, they understood this. They understood that there was a way to come in contact and come into a relationship or a friendship with the God of all creation. He created everything that is over everything, that, that, that manages everything, that watches everything. That God is reaching out to us. You notice the temple, the, the curtain tore from top to bottom. God started this process. He's reaching out to us. He is providing this sacrifice so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins and so that we can be healed. Man, that's good news. You think about, um, we don't have to think too much about the sins that you may have committed today, ways that, that you dishonored God, or this week, or this last year, or you go back a ways. It's not hard for us to, to think with shame and think uh, with with a disappointment on, oh, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish that wouldn't have, I, I just wish it, I, I wish it wouldn't. You know, I just, I'd rather not think about it, that type of thing. But it's amazing how it doesn't matter how many good things we do. And, and I see people do this sometimes in our world, is they have some guilt in the background in, in their past somewhere. And so they try to do so many good things in order to make that guilt go away. And how many good things do I have to do in order to make it so that those, those, those sins are gone? I can't, I can't do it, can we? It's there no matter what I do. And so what Jesus' sacrifice does for us is God steps in and says, I'll take this. <laughs> Mankind, you're a mess. I created you to be perfect. I created you in the garden. Everything was wonderful, and, and you've made a mess of it. And the only way for me to, to rectify this is I'm going to sacrifice myself, because I love you that much, so that you can receive the forgiveness and healing. And when you've experienced that, when you've come to Christ and you've become a Christian, and you understand that healing that comes and that forgiveness that comes, and it's not a one-time thing, but it continues throughout our life, it's amazing how... Um, it's hard to describe that for anybody who does not know or respect who Jesus is. It's hard, if you've not experienced it, if you've not felt it, if you've not walked through it and experienced the love and grace of other people around you that are walking beside you, you, can't, you it's hard to explain that. It's hard to understand that. But Jesus has given us that, and that's what this sacrifice does. But the cross is also something else. It is a rescue that saves us. Okay, I've had, 
I've um, the the family that I grew up in. Um, there's my dad is very involved in in the search and rescue, and he's done that for a long time. He trains dogs that that search for people. Uh, he's the mountain unit leader at the in the search and rescue department up there in, in Libby area. And so I grew up hanging out with going to some of these exercises and that. And, and my sister's an ER nurse, and so she does that same type of thing. Now, when I worked at the hospital, I got to know uh, some of the, the people that were, that were running the, uh, the Mercy flight in the helicopter and the fixed wing. And uh, there, there's a, it's a different breed that does that type of thing, I'll tell you. And, and for, if you think about it right now, would, would I jump in a, in a helicopter and, and go down into a place that I'm not sure where the landing is and I don't even know what the landing looks like so that I might possibly save somebody's life? There's a lot of us that would say, oh, I don't think I'm interested in that. Thanks, I'll do something else, you know? You've been in a helicopter. You know all about that, right? Yeah. So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, th- that at least it makes us, makes us think, you know, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm up for that. And there's sometimes these rescues go wrong. And sometimes people who, um, who are supposed to be those who are rescuing end up uh, getting hurt or there's fatalities because of that. Um, one happened not long ago just over towards Three Forks from here. Um, Darcy Dangle, who grew up in the church here, and was killed in the Mercy Flight incident that happened um, I'm not sure how many, about eight years ago probably now, somewhere in that, that ballpark. And they were coming down to get a patient in Bozeman. plane crashed along the way. And what I've seen, you know, walking through um, that time when Darcy and our family were good friends and we knew them well and, and that and, and still keep up with that family a lot, it, it brought to mind what I'd seen growing up with these search and rescue organizations and, um, and people that work in that field is there's a phrase that says, that is, you'll see it on helicopters, you'll see it on, 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 on gear, all that. And the phrase is, so others may live. And that's a phrase that comes up over and over again. And the idea is, I work in this industry, I do what I do so that others may live, and I realize that there is a risk for myself in this process. Okay? There is um, something that um, I came across uh, several years ago, it's a book called Boy Meets Girl by Joshua Harris. And uh, it's, a, it's a book about uh, this, it's, it's a two-part book that, that takes issue with how, uh, with, with the general dating scene, basically what it does. It's, it's good material. Um, I appreciated looking through it when I was a, when I was a young buck. Um, anyway, there's a, a description here of what happens on the cross that, that I've, I've looked at and I've read it, I read over every few years probably, because it's, it's one of the most uh, d- descriptive descriptions. That's not exactly, you know, that I think if an English teacher would say, you've got to do better than that. But it really describes what happens on the cross in terms of, of a rescue. And so what I'm going to do is I'm, gonna, I'm going to read through part of it. There's, there's parts of this that because of we have mixed age audience, I'm not going to read uh, parts of it. But I'll, you get the idea, Okay. The face that Moses had begged to see, was forbidden to see, was slapped bloody. The thorns that God had sent to curse the earth's rebellion now twisted around his own brow. On your back with you, one raises a mallet to sink the spike, but the soldier's heart must continue pumping as he readies the prisoner's wrist. Someone must sustain the soldier's life minute by minute, for no man has this power on his own. 
Who supplies breath to his lungs? Who gives energy to his cells? Who holds his molecules together? Only by the sun do all things hold together. The victim wills that the soldiers live on, and he grants the warriors continued existence, and the man swings. As the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human forearm, the sensations it would be capable of. The design proves flawless. The nerve performs exquisitely. Up with you, they lift up the cross. God is on display for the whole world to see. But these pains are a mere warm-up for his other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor began to waft, not around his nose, but his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of the father's eye turns brown with rot. His father, he must face his father like this. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the father seen, never has the son seen the father look at him so, never felt even the least of his hot breath. But the hot roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky, and the son does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? Why have you cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied? You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful drunk. You who peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques, and mock your parents. Who gave you the boldness to rig elections, foment revolutions, and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families, acting smugly, buying politicians, filming pornography, accepting bribes. You have burned down buildings, perfected terrorist tactics, founded false religions, traded in slaves, relished each morsel, and bragging about it all. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me, and can you not feel my wrath? Of course, the son is innocent. He is blamelessness itself. The father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The father watches as his heart's treasure, the mere image of himself, sinks drowning into raw liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But heaven stops its ears. The sun stares up at the one who cannot and who will not reach down or reply. The Trinity had it planned. The Son endured it. The Spirit enabled him. And the Father rejected the God whom he loved, or the Son whom he loved. Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. And the Father accepted his sacrifice for sins and was satisfied. And the rescue was accomplished. I'm glad I don't have to read that for another couple of years, maybe. <laughs> but doesn't that paint the picture for us of what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross? When he was on that cross, this great rescue was God, Jesus saying, I will take everything, everything that anybody has ever done that is sinful, that dishonors God, I'm going to take it. And it's mine, and I will stand in the gap. And God accepts that sacrifice. And because of that, we can come into the presence of God like never before. We don't need a high priest 
except for Jesus himself, that goes between us. Now, nobody comes, <laughs> needs to come to me so that I can pray because I'm a minister, that I can pray to God for them. All of us have that access ourselves, every one of us, because our relationship at the cross with Jesus changed. And I hope that uh, as we'll, we'll get to talk about the birth of Jesus and the resurrection next, and that's a, I, I enjoy talking about those things. But I hope what all of us can, can gather from this time and looking at the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made is that we make sure that we take very seriously the sacrifice that God made for us and do not treat it as something that is just, oh, whatever, this is kind of my thing, whatever. Maybe I'll follow God today. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be serious about God today. Maybe I won't. But the, this helps remind us that every day, day in, day out, this is something that is worth living for. And that it changes our lives, it transforms us. And so that every day, from now on, if we haven't made that decision, when we walk out of here, we decide, I'm going to be God's person today. Because I know the sacrifice, I know what Jesus did for me. And without that, I have nothing. And so I'm going to give my best, day in, day out, in order to honor God. Because I know that he took the first steps in order to, to mend this relationship. And I want this. I want this. This is what I want. And this is what is worth living for. For me, for my spouse, if you're married, for children, if you have them, for here out, I want to live a life that matters and put God first in everything. And boy, if we do that day in, day out, it's amazing. Hang on for the ride because God is going to continue to, to open up doors of opportunity and doors of blessing to see this joy that he is, the joy and the forgiveness and healing and the rescue that he has given us through this sacrifice. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to come forward. And you can also head to the back. There's people in the back ready to pray with you as well. Let's stand and sing together.